Welcome to our first episode of the Rainmakers Roadmap. Um, my name is Lindsay, and I'll be your host. I'm interviewing today Diane Knudsen, who is the owner of the Ventura franchise for the Alternative Board. Diane, would you explain a little bit about what that means? Sure, sure. I actually own the franchise of the Alternative Board, and the Alternative Board is a worldwide organization. It's based in Denver, but occupy, but operates in 22 countries around the world, um, but is pretty new to Ventura County. And so when we um, opened up that area in uh, 2018, it was a really new conversation to have with business owners. And what I do is bring business owners together in a setting that is similar to what you might expect to see for a board of directors of a public company. So we bring diversity and expertise and accountability to local business owners by bringing local business owners together on boards where we meet together confidentially once a month for a half day and take off our sales hats and roll up our sleeves and get to work on each other's businesses with uh, agenda of success for every member of the board. So what do those boards generally look like? Like what kind of businesses do you try to bring to a board? Well, diversity is the key because it allows us to maximize the creativity of the thinking in the group. So you want to have business owners from a bunch of different industries so that they can help each other fill in for weaknesses that maybe one guy has and somebody has a strength in that area. Yeah, it's weaknesses and strengths, but it's also perspective. So the owner of a marketing company is probably going to think differently than the owner of a civil engineering company because they just bring different skill sets to their profession um, quite naturally and organically. And so a, a given board is made up of six to nine business owners, and they might represent, like I said, a marketing company. We could have an engineering firm, a manufacturer, um, maybe someone who is in distribution or warehousing, logistics, so service companies to manufacturing, business to business to business to consumer. We have some retail clients that we work with as well. Have you had the opportunity from that experience? Obviously, you're helping to lead these groups, but what are some things you've learned personally from working in such a diverse group of business owners? I've learned that in spite of running a business previously for 20 years and in spite of having been a commercial lender and in spite of having the education that I did leading up to those things, that I don't have all the answers and that that the collaborative setting and pooled wisdom is more valuable than I, than I even realize. Even knowing that that's the value that I bring, I'm always surprised at just how effective it is to bring together entrepreneurs because they're problem solvers and they think about things in a unique way and come up with some really creative solutions to problems as well as creative pathways to, um, to success. So you mentioned having run a business previously for 20 years. Would you explain kind of your path? Um, what are, what's the path that took you to where you are today? Maybe starting from, let's even, let's start from graduating high school. What is the path that you took? Maybe just like the big key moments that brought you to this point. 
Okay, that's going back really far. <laughs> um, in high school, I actually was interested in going into maybe psychology. I thought that it might be rewarding to be a high school counselor. And my high school counselor looked at my grades and my scores and said, you have a propensity and a talent for, for math and analytical thinking, and you're going to make a much better living if you go in that direction so he encouraged me to to lean towards that in college and then I um, fell in love with economics in my very first economics class and so between economics and business those were my major and focus in college and um, right out of UCLA I got into a training program for a commercial bank, and so I was doing commercial lending to middle market businesses in the L LA County area. And I enjoyed that because similar to what I get to do now, I got to meet with business owners in a variety of industries and learn about what helped them be successful in their industry and what helped them be successful as leaders of people. And so um, there was a lot to enjoy about that start in my career. Let me pause you there because I want to ask... Um, in those conversations that you've had and interactions, relationships that you've had with business owners throughout, obviously, your entire career, um, you said you've learned about what helped people be successful. What do you think are some key factors that allow a business owner, an entrepreneur, to be successful? I know that's kind of hard because there's a variety of industries and it probably takes different skills for different places, but can you think of any? I would say that an entrepreneur to be successful needs to recognize that not every day is going to look the same and that there's going to be um, failures along the way that you need to learn from, uh, especially if you're forging a new path. You don't necessarily have a mentor to lead the way. And even if you do, um, you're still going to be dealing with people ultimately at the end of the day, whatever we're doing, even if what we've created is something highly technical. It's never going to go anywhere if we can't sell it to people and if we can't bring people on board with our vision to expand and scale a business. So I think you've need, you need to have some tenacity, you need to have a fairly thick skin, and you need to be able to um, generate an energy every day, sort of brand new, mm -hmm. and that needs to guide you as well as whoever it is you need to lead to create an organization that's going to lead to success. So what I'm hearing from that is that it takes maybe an attitude, but mostly an energy, like a self-starter energy, where the day isn't going to make itself happen. I have to decide how it's going to go, and these clients aren't going to just come out of nowhere. i got to go find them and win them to my way of thinking. So that would be maybe what you would say as like a, a general key to success in the business world. Yeah, I like that you said self-starter, and that kind of aligns with the title that you have for your podcast of Rainmaker, because um, I, I think the person at the head of the organization needs to have a lot of drive, and, and that self-starter and Rainmaker approach to um, creating what they're trying to build. Mm -hmm. um, but that person often doesn't have all of the skill sets to dot the I's and cross the T's to keep things running smoothly. And so that's not the only, um, those aren't the only characteristics that are needed. And so, you know, the, 
person at the top, the second in command, the third in command, as long as you've got uh, the kind of qualities that cover all the bases needed for the drive to move things forward as well as the attention to detail to make sure you're doing things right mm -hmm. are both really important. Yeah, so having a team that balances balances out and covers all those important qualities and strengths that you need in order to have success. Yeah, I really believe in that. And one of the things that we do when we bring the boards together is sometimes we close the gaps in the existing team because of the characteristics, qualities, and experiences of others in the group. So kind of going back to your story. So after college, you were working with a commercial bank, um, meeting all these business owners and lending to them essentially you're assessing their business whether or not your bank should loan to them is that basically yeah it was an interesting mix of determining credit worthiness alongside trying to sell the business uh, services of the bank to um, to a client and so you're selling externally while evaluating externally and then trying to sell internally to the credit uh, management committees uh, for the bank. All right, so you're selling to the client and back to your own company. You're selling your company to the client and the client to the bank. Yeah, and I think that's probably a role that a lot of salespeople need to have. Um, it was it was tricky. It was hard right out of college to be an effective salesperson and speak the language of business owners when I myself had very little business experience. Um, but it was a good experience, learning how to speak and write um, both critically as well as um, with a sales and, and uh, persuasive, persuasive yeah. angle. Awesome. So um, what are some things that you loved about that job and what are some things that maybe were challenging about that first job out of college? You mentioned that coming out of college and trying to speak the language of business um, was maybe a little intimidating at first. What were some other challenges that you faced getting started? It was very much a man's world, and so it was, I think I had the added challenge of needing to be taken seriously when I was young and female in a really male-dominated world, and it's not that anyone was unkind, but um, those two things together made, made it a little hard to be taken seriously, and honestly, looking back, I didn't bring enough to the table to be taken seriously in a lot of ways. Um, and so I think in that circumstance, I was maybe able to be successful because I knew when to push, because I knew what I was doing and knew that I was on the right path. And I also knew when to back off and ask for help. Mm -hmm. So I guess recognizing that balance between when you need to be aggressive within your knowledge base and when you need to be candid and a little vulnerable and let people know that you need help mm -hmm. because that's going to avoid some pitfalls that could be costly. So where did you go from there? Because that is not where you still are. So tell us a little bit more about what what happened next in your story. You're going to be able to do the math and find out how old I am because I was in banking for eight years after college, but then um, stepped out of the full-time working world to be a mom. And I have four amazing kids who are all technically adults now. <laughs> and so when they were little, I just um, did some accounting work and I did some property management work. I did basically just part-time work so that I could have the focus be um, raising my kids. And during that time, my husband 
started a new business. Um, it was an industry that he was very active in and had the opportunity to take the media department out of a marketing company and go independent as a media agency. And so I set up all of the accounting and insurance and administration and payroll for that company that we ran for 20 years. So I was very much back office, um, couldn't really speak the language of the business because I never tried. My objective was to support him, support the company, make sure that we were um, healthy financially, but um, to have all of my day-to-day -day focus be uh, the priority of the kids and the work that I did was pretty much um, nights, weekends when they were napping and, and, um, and so I kind of honed my skills for running the financial side of things um, slowly but surely over 20 years and we actually lost a controller along the way so I had to um, step back in and be a little bit more active but that was once the kids were in school and so it was just a gradual transition back into more of a professional role, more of a active day-to-day -day role. Cool, so throughout those 20 years of helping with the financials for that business, what are some things that you've learned? Um, maybe what are some things that you learned about yourself, what you love and what you don't love as much? Um, I guess I have a perspective now that I wouldn't have known how to identify when we started um, our franchise business because uh, once we got going with the alternative board and my husband and I settled into our new roles, um, I recognized that I definitely had the propensity to get back into the sales role, um, even though it wasn't something I was very comfortable with. In my banking position 20 years prior, I had a lot more experience and having Having been the client while we were running our business um, for our insurance agent and for the CPA and for the attorneys, anybody I was dealing with, I was the client. And so I had a perspective of how you can be running a business, have needs that aren't being met, um, but if they aren't the priority of the day, um, then you're not necessarily going to take that phone call. You're not necessarily going to respond to that email. And so I find myself able to have a tenacity in my outreach that um, is a lot higher. I'm, I'm able to handle a lot um, more rejection because I recognize that I'm not actually being rejected unless somebody says, stop asking me, stop mm -hmm. talking to me. I'm, I'm only being rejected if they say that. And if they do, then I can check them off the list and move on to somebody that I can really help. But I know that there's people out there who need my help, who the more they understand about it, they're going to want my help. And so I don't mind reaching out repeatedly to people in an effort to at least assess whether or not we have a fit um, to be able to do something great with them and with their company. So that is really interesting that you talked about how your time working with that other company for 20 years, um, being the client and interacting with people who were trying to sell you on their services, what, whether it be accounting or payroll or whatever services they were offering your company, like that has helped you to have a better perspective when now you are seeking clients and trying to build those relationships in that way. Um, that is really an interesting thing that you've mentioned, um, and how it allows you to 
as the salesperson, have a little thicker skin because you can put yourself in their shoes and say, okay, well, maybe they were just having a bad day. I've had some bad days where if somebody called me, even with something that I desperately needed, I would say, no, I don't have time. Thank you. Um, so that's really, that's a good perspective to bring. Um, what would you suggest for maybe young people who are starting in sales um, to help them kind of keep that perspective in mind when they haven't been the client yet? Well, I'm not a sales expert. It's actually only really part of what I bring to our practice of the alternative board. But um, I guess what I would say is you have to be prepared to keep learning and to be open to um, people's input as to what's working and what isn't. And that you've got to be prepared to take a multi-prong approach. You can't just assume that you can take one strategy by itself and that that's all you need to do. Um, I think that anytime you're seeking to make change in your life, you can't expect it to be linear. And so you've got to be willing to get a couple of different things started all at once. Um, and I think that there's just a lot of content and a lot of great educational material out there to help us hone our people skills, period. Because I'm saying sales, but I don't think of myself so much as a salesperson, as a problem solver. And so recognizing how to communicate with people to get to the point where you can talk about what's really a challenge for them. Mm -hmm. And so helping people um, open up, it's, it's a way for me to discover whether or not there's possibly a fit between what I have to offer and what they need. But it's also remarkably cathartic for a business owner to have a fellow business owner, which is the role that I have, which is a fortunate position to be in when trying to have what we'll call a sales conversation. But um, business owners operate in an often lonely space. They can't have candid conversations very often with um, their employees or with their clients or with their vendors. Because if they're having challenges, that's not something that you want anybody to be nervous about in those in those circles and so when I make those phone calls and I can get a business owner to start opening up it may be the first conversation they've had like that in a very long time and so it's good for me and it's good for them mm -hmm. and from there we can maybe move to a place where we can do some good so why don't you explain a little bit of how you got into this business that you're currently working in the alternative board um, because we last talked about your 20 years helping with the financials of your husband's business. How did you transition? What, what made you decide to become a business owner with a franchise owner of TAB? Well, the business that we owned prior was a media agency, but we had a niche in the infomercial space. Um, and so as people changed the way they watch TV and changed and advertising changed in terms of the the type of audience and, and the, the media um, platforms through which they were reached, it was obvious for years that, um, that the space we were in was basically going away. We were able to stay successful in that for a long time because as businesses dropped out, we gained market share. But ultimately, our largest client pulled everything off the air pretty abruptly, and so we needed to pivot to find a new um, direction for the support of our family. And so both my husband and I were um, looking for work, and I had a couple of part-time jobs that I was um, busy with as I was um, trying to evaluate what options made the most sense, and he was doing the same. And that's when he encountered the alternative board, or TAB, 
And um, I actually was not in love with the idea of a franchise at first, and neither was he necessarily, but the the concept of bringing business owners together resonated for us because it was something that would have certainly helped us avoid some of the costly pitfalls that we experienced in running our business and would have been good for us as a couple because initially when we started out that company there was three of us i was back office and he had a partner who he was involved with day to day but that partner left about um, maybe the 12-year mark and so for the last eight years it was just the two of us and in a marriage it's nice um, to be able to step away from work and we worked together and so it that kind of permeated our personal relationship as well and there were times when we didn't necessarily agree on the next step or the right path and it would have been really beneficial to us to have a sounding board like the alternative board like that group of trusted business owners that we could turn to to kind of help us referee a situation or or maybe for him when he was the front of the the face of the business to be able to make better decisions without even necessarily involving me. And so um, it really resonated for us as having been business owners who could use that kind of support. Okay, so you recognized when you learned more about the alternative board that this was something that you could probably sell, right, to other people because you knew that it would have benefited you. Correct. Yeah. Um, did you, because you mentioned that working as partners with your husband was a challenge, were you worried about starting another business with your husband? <laughs> I totally was worried about that because I, I know um, that when we were running the previous business, one of the challenges was that my husband didn't enjoy the outreach particularly. He was really good at managing people and solving problems and very responsive and really efficient and quick in the way he could resolve issues um, with people and really get to win-win um, solutions. And so he has really, really great skill sets for the running of a business internally, but he doesn't have as thick a skin as I do. And so I was worried about the sales side of things and um, realizing that it was very likely going to um, land pretty heavily on me and so I knew I needed to really believe in what we were doing mm -hmm. in order to have that role um, but the alternative board worldwide that's our umbrella organization or, or franchise they provide a ton of support and education and step-by-step um, -step for so many different ways to reach out and so when you have so many alternatives and really good training in terms of how to um, market and sell your services, it, it can help you move forward with a lot more confidence. And so if we had just tried to start this up on our own without the backup of the alternative board worldwide, and we had to figure out not only how to sell it, but how to facilitate our meetings and how to handle the one-on-one -on -one coaching that happens as part of TAB membership, I think we would have really floundered. Um, so having the, the framework of really good training available made a huge difference. Well, yeah, that's interesting because then it creates kind of a third member of your team. It's you 
and your husband and the franchise, the, the big mother company that is providing this training, um, allowing some of the pressure to come off of you two and the strain to come off of your relationship in that way. So that's really cool. That's interesting that you said that, especially because you were you were cautious about a franchise. And then it turned out to be really helpful. Yeah, franchises, you know, they take they take a big chunk right off the top of whatever you are whatever you're earning. And so I think people can be a little nervous about getting into that arrangement because what are you actually what kind of support are you getting for the piece that they take and the alternative board gives so much for for their piece mm-hmm. that um, it's it's a really good relationship and I've never really thought of it as them being a third member of our team but they absolutely are um, and they provide like I said training support um, collateral you know in terms of the kinds of assets that we use to keep our brand strong um, but they give us a ton of autonomy as well. We need to be staying consistent with the brand because the brand is, is great and it's strong and it, it um, embraces the kinds of values that we want to have and that we buy into. And so that's important, but, um, but they really allow us a lot of autonomy in how we run our business within Ventura County. Mm-hmm. So you get the benefit of being able to run a business and being really independent and managing your own calendar and doing business with the kinds of people that you want to. You know, if we encounter a business owner who is interested but brings kind of a toxicity to even just our our initial conversations, that's not something we want to bring into our groups or into our life. And Mm so it's wonderful to be able to pick and choose who we work with. I didn't have that as an employee when I was starting out out of college. We if there was somebody that I was supposed to take care of, I had to take care of them, whether they're, whether they were, <laughs> whether I wanted them in my life or not. Yeah. So things that somebody might want to look into if they're considering joining a franchise is how much freedom and autonomy is available, what kind of support they're actually offering in exchange for that large chunk that they're taking from your revenue. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you would say if somebody was maybe looking to? do something like that? Well, I would take advantage of every opportunity to interact with the corporate office. Mm -hmm. And I came in with a lot of skepticism, and I was won over on every front. The chief of marketing was amazing. The CEO, amazing. Those who were running the training and the development of the assets that we use in the company, amazing. Like, I have not been disappointed by anyone um, from that whole team. And so it, when, you, when you see that, when you feel that, it actually gives you even that much more confidence in what you're going to be able to deliver, to deliver in your own territory. Mm-hmm. So I have every confidence that the coaching tools that we use, the platform that we work with when we are doing our one-on-one coaching with our clients, that's being developed on an ongoing basis by um, Tab Worldwide, getting input from business owners like myself running these franchises all around the world and uh, recognizing when the tools need to change in response to changes in the business Mm -hmm. environment. And I don't have to think through that. I don't have to know how to technically introduce it. I don't need to know how to um, 
re-script things because that's all being handled and I have total confidence in the team. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit. Um, what does your average day look like doing what you're doing now? What are some of the tasks that, you know, repeatedly come up every day? Well, like every other business owner and every other human, <laughs> I got to check through the emails a couple times a day and recognize what, you know, sort through what's really important, what's urgent but maybe not important, and what's not urgent and not important, you know, just kind of prioritizing um, if there's fires to be put out or concerns to deal with. Um, but always scheduling in a certain uh, number of hours in a week. I, I so it's not so much a typical day, it's more like a typical week. Mm -hmm. Within a week, I'm going to have potentially one or two board meetings, potentially a um, leadership workshop, um, as well as a few um, sales or marketing calls where I'm scheduled to, to meet or talk to a prospect. But I have to layer in a certain number of just self-driven outreach, which usually involves picking up the phone and either touching base with somebody that I have met in the past who's expressed some interest or maybe just hasn't said, go away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I need to be keeping the pipeline full all the time, and I have to drive myself to do that, um, whether I'm in the mood or not, and create um, the energy to do that. And there's days when it just isn't happening and it's time to just move on and do something different. But um, during the course of a week, I need to put in a significant chunk of time dedicated to keeping the pipeline full. Yeah. yeah. So outreach to new clients. Um, there are, sounds like, some regular meetings with current clients um, and basically just managing those client relationships trying to build new ones and continue to strengthen um, the members that you do have. Yeah, every time we have a board meeting, there's follow-up activity. Sometimes it's a matter of connecting uh, one board member with a member of another board or somebody that I've met in my outreach that I'm not currently doing business with but who I've grown to know and trust in terms of um, the service that they deliver in the marketplace. And so putting people together actually gives me a ton of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So whether it's putting them together within the board setting or putting them together to solve problems um, outside of the board. Um, but every time we have a board meeting, there's follow-up activity like that in order to make sure that we are adding all the value we can because of the relationships that we have. And, um, and I'm taking on a little bit of coaching myself. And so I'm doing some one-on-one -on -one, um, executive coaching with some of our members and so if you looked at my typical day versus my husband and partner's typical day he does a lot of coaching he coaches most of our members in that one-on-one -on -one setting and so he's out doing that while I am doing the outreach which currently is a lot of phone and email and LinkedIn messaging um, as we get more into an open post-pandemic situation and we have the opportunity to attend um, mixers and ribbon cuttings and things like that happening in the community I'll be adding that into my activity again adding it back cool so since you've mentioned it what are some things some challenges that you faced during the pandemic were there any innovations that you experienced that you came up with or that you just 
noticed somebody else doing and adapted? What are some things that innovations that you've implemented since the pandemic that have helped you and that you think you maybe want to keep even after things open up again? We have some great takeaways from having gone through such an abrupt disruption in our business. Um, we had never run a virtual coaching session or board meeting ever. And so we needed to be trained up on the tools like Zoom and GoToMeeting. Um, but we also recognized that we needed to step in and add more value even while making less revenue because we did have some clients who dropped off and some who needed to um, adjust their, um, their payment schedule. And so we took a hit, but we also realized that um, with fewer clients, we had the time to come up with some new ideas on how to add value to the clients that we have and to our prospective clients. And so we reached out to other professionals who were probably experiencing something very similar. So whether they were fractional CFOs. What's a fractional CFO? Uh, a fractional CFO is somebody who has all the skill sets and experience to be a CFO, but rather than working for one company, they take on multiple clients. Okay, so a finance person who works maybe part-time for a variety of different companies, and full-time, but only part-time in each spot. Right, right. So we, um, we have a network of individuals like that, as well as um, some IT folks and some sales folks and um, commercial real estate professionals. Business owners were dealing with... Um, they were dealing with reduced revenue, so stepping up their sales activity was important. They were dealing with reduced revenue, so making rent on their leased properties was a challenge. Um, they were dealing with the CARES Act, which brought opportunities for um, financial relief, but also it imposed um, some challenging requirements in terms of keeping employees safe. and so. Every business owner within our territory was dealing with some common challenges. And so what we did is we reached out to professionals who were um, specialized in areas that were relevant given those challenges and we put together webinars. So, so we brought um, business owners that were uh, board members on multiple boards together to hear speakers um, provide content, education, opportunities for Q&A, and then in some cases we actually continued the meeting into a roundtable to let the business owners kind of help each other and share resources. And that was really effective, especially with the um, Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP. People were having trouble getting funded by their existing banks, and so the sharing of resources in terms of who was lending was really important because tho those dollars ran out and so you had to get in while the dollars remained and um, so the sharing of resources was was awesome in those and so we you know we had to learn the platforms like Eventbrite and how to do email blasts in different formats in order to get to the audience that we needed to provide an audience for the professionals that we were bringing to, pr to produce these webinars, but ultimately just trying to add a lot of value in the marketplace mm -hmm. so that when things settled down, we would have retained really good relationships with our clients and potentially built better relationships with our prospective clients 
and just feeling good about having provided value within our business community at a time when um, people were really struggling. Yeah, so that seems like a really brilliant plan. You're well connected, and so, and there are common challenges that everybody's struggling with, and so that seems like a brilliant opportunity to develop some goodwill with business owners within your area doing those kind of things. Is that something that you think you'll try to continue um, moving forward? I, it's probably a different situation once those common challenges or, you know, once the pandemic comes to an end, those, not every business is going to be facing the same challenges like they were. And yet, and yet they do. And so we do have um, thoughts on the horizon in terms of pr producing some additional webinars specifically on cybersecurity because that is something that everybody is exposed to, the risk there. Um, and uh, we're slated to be speakers for somebody else's webinar. And so I think we needed to give it a rest for a while because everybody was a little zoomed out. And so if it was a webinar that was just interesting but wasn't critical to your business, it, it became something that you just couldn't tolerate. And so I think we're recognizing that there's a lower appetite for that, but that there still is the need for the sharing of content and exposing people to uh, really well-versed professionals who, um, who can be available to them to help solve their problems post-webinar mm -hmm. or can show them that these are the things that you can do for yourself to stay protected. Those are the only kinds of people that we bring into a webinar are the ones who are prepared to share the information so that any business owner can take a do-it-yourself approach to the solving of their problems right, um, because not we're not providing a no-sales platform. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Cool. Very cool. So that's something that you think you'll continue to try and do to a lesser degree as we move forward, but that's a tool that that you gained through that experience and innovation that, that came about. And some of the business owners we work with really enjoy the um, – the convenience of a virtual meeting. And so uh, I'd say about half of our one-on-one -on -one executive coaching has gone to a virtual platform by the preference of the client. Um, and we have the opportunity to allow business owners to attend virtually to our board meetings. They were entirely virtual for a long stretch and then converted to sort of a hybrid where we'd have a few people in person and then everyone else attending via video. And now it's more like pretty much everybody wants to be together. But if you end up with a tight schedule, that means that you can't get to the location. We have the option of, of bringing somebody into the meeting that way. And, and it's been really effective. We actually have someone who moved out of state and they've been able to stay on their board even though they relocated because uh, we just don't have those boundaries anymore. That's one of the things I feel like a lot of businesses have benefited from is being forced to figure out how all that technology works and then realizing, wait, this is way more effective because we can cut down on travel time and those kind of costs. And um, so that's, that's really good. Using the technology is something that, technology that was already there, but we, we didn't have any drive to figure it all out. There's a lot to be said for face-to-face, -face, and so we do kind of push for that because so much of communicating is a full body language experience, and so being able to be in person is really, it's really beneficial, and so, and it's beneficial for us. I think both Mark and I are, um, we are high I on the DISC scale, the D-I-S-C, which is something that we use. It's a communication measurement tool. 
um, behavioral characteristics tool and the I says that we are high in the influence characteristic which basically means we like to connect with people mm -hmm. and so for us I think we get more satisfaction out of our work when we can be in our clients place of business and see them and see and have full communication with them as well as some interaction with their team and so it's good for us and it's good for clients good to be moving in that direction at the very least um so you mentioned that personality wise for you and your husband it's really valuable and it brings satisfaction to be interacting with people in person and building relationships in that way um, what are some key factors that lead to your overall satisfaction and happiness in work? What are some of the key key factors that make you a happy person um, at work and in your life? I like the win. <laughs> Just I like to I like to bring in a new client. I love the satisfaction of watching clients connect effectively together. Um, and develop relationships that I was integral in creating. And so that's a win. Um, I like to run a really highly successful meeting where everyone who attended had really concrete takeaways. So I'm, I'm driven for the win. And it isn't necessarily the win in terms of me like making more money or me um, being the one solving the problem. But if I was integral to creating a situation where somebody else's problem was solved, that is really very satisfying. Okay, so inherent in being driven by those win results is obviously some challenges you like to, if I'm understanding correctly, um, there's more satisfaction in creating a win when, there was, when it wasn't easy, when not anybody could have done it. Am I correct in that? You are correct. <laughs> we actually, we have some clients that um, that took a really long time to to bring on board, and and I have to say that the success felt that much sweeter because um, because we stuck with it, and it was it was difficult. And so, yeah, when when I can bring in a client that was skeptical for any reason or. Um, was just going through so many challenges they couldn't see doing you know one more extra thing to bring them in and to have them see oh my gosh this is so great if anything I wish I would have done this sooner it just says that what we have is so valuable and that it was worth it to to stick with it even though it looked like it was maybe never going to lead to a membership relationship so yeah that's that's big. So the biggest wins aren't necessarily like the biggest payouts, but just overcoming the biggest challenges. And that's interesting. That's cool. Um, so I just have a couple more questions before we end. Um, you mentioned earlier that if we are seeking to, you mentioned it in relation to sales and becoming somebody who can connect with clients. You said there's so many books out there that can teach you about how to work on your interpersonal relationship skills and stuff like that. And I was wondering if there are any books that you've read that have impacted the way that you live and work. I am terrible at remembering names of authors and names of books, um, but I can remember Stephen Covey because mm -hmm. he's, um, he's a master. And um, I can 
learn and relearn by reading or listening to um, his content and the seven habits is awesome especially seek to understand before being understood so whether it's in a sales conversation or a coaching relationship it is really important to um, to try to put ourselves in the other person's shoes and to do that means asking a lot of questions it means really trying to find out where they're coming from and I think that humans could probably just do better at that we have we have two ears and one mouth and yet we spend a lot of time talking and not enough time listening and so I'm a big fan of Stephen Covey um, I also like Carol Dweck because I I'm a believer that mindset does not need to be a fixed um, condition and that we can through hard work diligence and intention make changes in our lives and um, so I appreciate that for myself but also in recognizing um, the potential in others so that's a big one um, atomic habits and atomic habits is another one that has given us some great nuggets um, but I've not read that one all the way through it's just the nuggets that I'm aware of and then TED talks are amazing so there's there's so much out there Thank you for those recommendations. Um, here at the end of this conversation, I would just like to give you an opportunity because this podcast is targeted towards um, high school, college, recent college graduate um, people who are trying to figure out what to do, what direction to move um, forward. And what advice would you offer somebody who is trying to decide where to go with their life? I'm going to pass on advice that was given to me in a completely different setting. And maybe it runs counter to the overall message that would be received from what I've said so far. But the sooner you learn to love work, the happier your life will be. Because there's a lot of work that goes towards achieving the wins. And so if you can't, if you can't get satisfaction out of the journey... The journey is going to be really hard. So learning to love work and recognizing that a failure is an opportunity to learn. It's not the end. It's not where you stop. It's it's where you learn and you pivot and you grow. So, um, yeah, I think probably those two things. Learning to love work. And recognizing that it's okay to make mistakes and learn from them as opposed to running from them. Well, thank you so much for your time today um and well thank you for listening we're looking forward to bringing on some other great interviewees we've got business owners and other professionals who are going to come and tell us about their story and hopefully give our listeners um, some inspiration and direction moving forward so thank you for listening and we'll see you again soon